Welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call, and I am excited tonight to have on special guest Jamie Walden, and I'll introduce him here a little bit later, but I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on um, briefly. This election, I spoke last week, I was open, I wanted to be transparent of my own struggles, um, because as, as hard as it is right now in the world, and as much as uh, you know, I love this country. It's not my home. But even at times, I find myself getting reinvolved in politics. Uh, you know, wanting to see certain outcomes um, because I'm human. And I had God had to kind of bring me back again and and remind me that that it, He's the one who sets up the kings and tears them down. And, and it doesn't matter. Because even it doesn't matter what business I have or what I do. That. If God is in control, he will be enough. And the realization that we are truly living in a depraved society, folks, is where we are at. And uh, tonight's guest understands that very well. But I want to open up with a scripture that I spoke about last week in brief. I feel like this scripture is important for us to contemplate. But before I do, I want to take a moment to just pray, Father, In Jesus' name, I pray that what is said tonight would be not only according to your will, but would be edifying to your people. And Lord, sometimes things that are according to your will hurt. Sometimes they're painful. But Lord, just like the three men in the fiery furnace, Lord, the only thing that was actually burned on them was the ropes and the bondage of this world. So Lord, free us also from the ropes and the bondage of the things of this world that hold us back from walking even through the fire, remembering that there will always be one with us who looks and is the Son of God. We thank you for this, Lord. May our lives be a testimony tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of judgment? Or what it literally says is justice. Why do we continue to weary the Lord? Folks, I want to make it clear right now that we are living in such a time that we cannot take for granted our walk with God. We mess up, we fail, we, we get sidetracked at times. God understands that. But we get back on our feet. We pull our bootstraps up, and we get back in the battle. Because even if a warrior gets knocked down, he continues to fight. But right now, we are living at a time where this world is trying to justify what is evil and call it good. And folks, there are many believers, unfortunately today, that are awake to what's going on but time to justify sin. Folks, there is no justification for what is going on right now. This is not a time to be playing with fire. This is a time that we begin to seek the Lord and we cry out, repent, and we ask him to forgive us. And we claim the promises in Isaiah 58 and we fast and we seek him knowing that he is able to deliver us and break every yoke. God is faithful. But this is not a time to play. And so I want to bring on tonight our special guest, Jamie Walden. If you don't know who he is, he's with the uh, Omega Dynamics Ministry. It's omegadynamics.org. You can check him out there. Jamie is also a Marine like myself. And so, you know, if you don't know what it's like to be a Marine, it's only something that one half of 1% of the population ever knows uh, the honor of having. And I'm, I'm not ashamed. Uh, I've done a lot of things in my life that I've been ashamed of, but being a U.S. Marine is something I will never be ashamed of. Jamie is born and raised in the Quad Cities, Malloyne, Illinois, uh, along the Mississippi River. His father was a firefighter and paramedic, uh, mother homemaker. Uh, his mother was a homemaker, college administrator, and raised Jamie and his two siblings in an authentic, biblically rich home. But Jamie, just like the rest of us, went on to do something different. He decided to join the United States Marine Corps. 
uh, just like myself. And uh, I'm going to let you share a little bit quickly as we bring Jamie on here. Or let him share a little bit about his story because what we're going to get into tonight, folks, it takes a warrior mentality. And so with that, I'm going to bring on our guest here to share a little bit more. Jamie, are you here with me? Yeah, I am, brother. Thanks for having me on again. Hey. It's, it's always a pleasure. I think it's, this is the third time we've been we've been allowed by the Lord's goodness to fellowship on the air, and it's it's always awesome. So thank you for having me on again. Well, brother, you have so much that you've done in life, and uh, I think out of all the things I've ever enjoyed about you is that you got thrown out of the mission field for preaching <laughs> too much Jesus. Yep. I don't think I will ever forget that, and, and uh, so praise God. Brother, I want to share some stuff tonight. I, we've talked about it before the episode and everything, but share a little bit quickly about what your ministry entails and what you do. Yeah, sure. So, so uh, real quick, I, I won't I won't linger on it, and I count all these things as loss and garbage compared to knowing Christ and being increasingly unified with Him. But I did the was enrolled in Naval Academy, did the Marine Corps, uh, did some high speed stuff in there in the infantry with like a recon slash scout platoon kind of thing, and then. Got out, went to college. I worked with the U.S. Marshals. I was doing the alphabet soup agency thing for a while. That's where I was trying to get my whole reality, build my own earthly carnal kingdom, uh, thinking I could just tack Jesus on and and think that it was honoring him. Uh, ended up uh, taking a step back when he started reducing me and became a city police officer for a while. Um, that was a bad fit, too. Went back and got my paramedic, was doing tactical EMS and stuff like that. And uh like SWAT type medic and ended up getting on a fire department where I was a firefighter and a paramedic and then a, a rescue technician and was going around the, the, the country and the world and stuff do, being deployed for different disasters and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then the Lord really got a hold of me and told me to sell everything, get rid of everything and not, and you don't get to know why or where or to what ends and where it's leading. Just, I'm telling you to do this. So now you have a choice. You get to choose a uh, blessing or curse or, obedience or or not so um uh we did my, my wife and i uh, we sold off everything not knowing why and and actually quit the fire department where if in about five more years i'd be getting a sweet fat pension and have free health care for the rest of my life and all the stuff that i don't see anywhere in scripture so <laughs> I, I don't i don't see that anywhere in scripture but yet that's what our whole american paradigm is based off of and we ended up uh in the mission field in the dominican republic for a couple years where I eventually was fired, which I didn't know you could get fired for being a volunteer and being self-supportive, but I'm that squared away that I figured out how to get fired from being a volunteer and in in the missionary in the mission in the Christian mission field for talking about Jesus so much that it made all the other missionaries feel so insecure about their faith that they actually demanded that I be told to go home. Uh, my wow. me and my wife and my family. So anyways, that was the impetus on returning from there for the book Omega Dynamics. I, I realized just how late and how far down the prophetic timeline we actually are, not because of the objective things, right? Not because of the earthquakes and the kingdom against kingdom and, and the volcanism and the astrocatastrophism and, and uh, you know, the emerging technologies and the transhumanism and the hybridization chimeric stuff and all the rise in occultism, all these other things, which I'm very, very in tune to, right? I'm, I'm very well aware of. And and but what what I was dumbfounded by and astounded by was the spirit of the church that I finally got a peek behind the veil when I was in the mission field. And excuse me, that was the impetus for the Lord, the Holy Spirit saying, write what I give you to write. And again, you don't get to know what the outcome is. I don't I have no desire to write, never had any desire to. But he said, if you if you show up, I'll show up. I'll give you the words. You just you just show up. And I showed up and. Uh, the book Omega Dynamics was was born out of that, and uh, and the whole focus is on strengthening and equipping those with ears to hear for the days ahead. To strengthen and equip a warrior class of the redeemed Lord, because what I realized, given my background, is that when I read the Word, as soon as the Lord got a hold of me at 25, and I said, by the way, I'm 39 right now. If anybody's wondering how old I am. Um, when it, when the Lord got a hold of me at 25, I was like hungering and thirsting for the word. I was like, I could rip the pages out of the Bible and eat it. I just love the word so much. And so as I'm reading the word, you know, Genesis to Revelation, everywhere in between, from my paradigm and my background, right, the bents and biases or, or whatever, the, the worldview from which I read it, I knew exactly what I was looking at as soon as I started reading. I'm like, this is a military doctrinal manual. Like, 
Genesis 1-1, the world was tohu and bohu without form and void. That presupposes warfare because I know who God is. And then Genesis 3-15, I'll put warfare between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, right? Oh, warfare. And then Genesis 6, oh, there's an insurgency, an insur- like a rebel insurgency comes and, and there's warfare against the created order of, of a king of glory and of his kingdom and against the, the inhabitants of his kingdom, right? Those who, who he has foreknown to be a part of his king. And then you go Genesis 11, then you go Genesis 18, then you have all the, all the, uh, the attributes of of the Israelites, you know, Judges 3. These are the nations that I left uh, surrounding Israel to test those who had not yet known warfare, that they might know warfare because they had not yet known warfare. You know, it says it three times over. And I see the Lord identify himself like, I am the Lord of hosts. It's the number one name by which he chose to reveal himself by, the Lord of the heaven's armies. Right, the Christophany of Jesus Christ when he when he when he comes before Joshua and Joshua was like, whoa, 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 are you friend or foe? Right, he starts freaking out. He goes, neither. I'm commander of the heavens' armies. You know, and then you fast forward all the way through the New Testament. It's war, war, war. You think I came to bring peace? No, I came to bring a sword. Why? Because it's warfare. Listen, the savagery of the warfare is so radical and so incomprehensible, in, incomprehensible, and so and so consequential. The nature of the warfare that it literally you have to don the armor of God, God's literal armor, which is Christ Himself. You have to literally be clothed in righteousness, the armor of God, his son himself, in order to stand and withstand the evil day, right? We have these weapons of warfare, and we have this sword, and we have this armor, and we're told that that Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. He leads from the front, and for this reason was the son of man manifest, that he might destroy the works of the evil one. Everything is through the context of the nature of this warfare, so much so that those with ears to hear, he says, listen, I got a commission for you. Not only is it a commission, ladies and gents, it's a great commission. And I go, I know what a commission is. A commission is an authorized military appointment and a sovereign ruling authority government, right? That's what a commission. So he's like, listen, I've given you a great commission. Fight the good fight. Advance. Go do make right. Like like uh, uh, don't grow weary in doing good. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage. Right. You know, courage is required on a field of battle. And then you go all the way through to Revelation, right? Revelation 21. It started with warfare. Genesis 1-1, it ends with warfare. And the rider on the horse, whose name is Faithful and True, rides out in justice and judgment to make war. Period. Like that, that's that's what this that's what's Amen. going on here, right? And and so we've been we've been enlisted. Those who have ears to hear, we've been written right smack into the front lines because we are the true and better counterinsurgency from the Lord God Almighty. Every single act of of warfare against enemies within and without, so that means the our own sinful carnal nature and the enemies without these rebel hordes, right? For your fight's not against flesh and blood, it's against these dudes, right? It's against these guys, it's against these guys, these guys, these guys. He keeps saying it over and over and over again. He's like, I have... I, you, for the mystery of the gospel has been made foreknown to you. Why? So that you would pr- proclaim it and preach it as an act of warfare to the authorities and, the, and to the spiritual uh, rulers in high places. That's why you've been given the gospel of Jesus. I'm like, I'm like, oh man, you know, as I'm reading the word, like this thing is legit. This gospel is not weak. My king is not weak. He is Messiah and David, the conquering king. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah who roars from on high. That's why the wicked flee when no one pursues them. But the righteous are as bold as lions. Why are we as bold as lions? Because Christ is in me and I am in and he is in the father. And he literally is the lion of the tribe of Judah who is roaring. So Anyway, see, I get all Amen. amped up talking about the Lord. No, I'm getting fired up too. I praise God. I'm getting fired up. And uh, folks, he's right. It is a war. I mean, the Bible says in Matthew 24, but know you this, that the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come. He would not have, uh, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Folks, God says, if you would have known you were, you're in your house and you know, a thief was coming, you would not allow your house to be broken into. You would protect it and defend it. And right now we're living at a time that for some reason we're allowing the thief to come into our own spiritual houses and not willing to defend it because unfortunately jamie today's society has been taught that our god is somehow some fluffy little teddy bear some cuddly <laughs> little little you know and the truth is that our god is a warrior and and folks he wants people to act 
like warriors, meaning we are ready to fight. Not, not talking about you're going out there and blowing up the world and doing all. I'm talking about on our knees, ready to defend that which belongs to him. And that which is holy, he wants us to keep holy. And that means we need to fight in war and prayer on our knees and be ready to do what God says. Jamie is absolutely right. This Bible is a warrior's manual. It is strategic, and interestingly enough, it is the ultimate inside intel into what the enemy is planning in the last hour. This oh, brother, the, that's yeah, that's the total that's playbook. I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like, do you realize what what your what the scripture is? It's literally a war manual. Like you got the playbook. And we know the end outcome and we have consummate victory. And listen to this. I, that's why I always, I'm like, listen, everything about the scriptures is martial. It's all martial. He says, what, what's he say? He says, uh, uh, blessed are you are, are if, if, if you suffer unjustly because you're conscious of God is to your commendation. And he, and he mentions all these things that are commendable. He mentions all these things that are to your commendation. I go, well, what's a condom? What's a, what's a commendation? Well, that's a military medal pinned upon your chest. He literally says, listen, it is war, ladies and gents. And like you were saying, you know, what the what's happened in the church is they've 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 reduced the king of glory. They've they've flipped his you know, he operates an upside down kingdom. They've been trying to make it right side up by this sheer strength of will. And they say the foundations of the throne room of God are friendliness and goodness. And I go, uh, a off friendliness is not a fruit of the spirit. So sorry, I don't see friendly. I don't see friendliness anywhere in the scriptures, right? So they say the foundations of the throne room of the throne room of God are friendliness and include and and inclusivity. I go, nope, it's righteous righteousness and justice. Actually, uh, you know, Psalm eighty nine fourteen, and not only is it all, not only are the foundations of a throne righteousness and justice, but it is extremely exclusive. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and that makes people cringe. Why? Because they don't want to fear the king of glory. They don't want to bow their knee. They say, like you start off with in Habakkuk 2, they say, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. The prophets prophesy falsely. They say, peace, peace, when I never said peace, right? It says, the prophets and the priests, they dress the wounds of my people as if they're not serious. Jeremiah 6, he says, God speaking, who, to whom can I speak and give warning? Their ears are closed so they do not hear. The, my word is offensive to them, right? Or I think of Isaiah 30, 15, it says, the people say, prophesy illusions, tell us pleasant things, get off the way, just don't confront me any longer with the Holy One of Israel. See, the church doesn't want the Holy One of Israel. The church wants to have the form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The church is the one who allows the way of truth to be brought into disrepute. The church is the one who will not tolerate sound doctrine, who's always learning, but never able to come to an understanding truth. And the spirit of the church, the last church dispensation, the Laodicean church age, has the most grotesque, faulty self-actualization and standing before the Lord that it is the only church age since the since Christ's ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that is so detestable to him. Think about it. There's been some pretty bad church ages, right? There's been some, there's been some, look at, study yeah. medi medieval history, right? There's been some pretty bad church dispensations, but none of them compared to the last one who is saying, we're wealthy and in need of nothing. Yet God says, you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, blind, and naked, and I'm going to violently vomit you out of my mouth. It's like, we, we, we've done such a, such a grievous error in the secret doctrines of demons have brought the way of truth into disrepute. So, you know, coming back to the foundations of his throne, he says, God says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the foundations of who God literally is and who his son is and who the king of glory is, who he, who he made everything through and for and back unto have been corrupted and tainted and perverted by, by, the, by the, uh, the puppet masters in the pulpits who, who are like these ravenous wolves preying on the emotions of the people instead of shepherding them like good shepherds. They, they purposefully and deliberately manipulate them. Why? To be loved by the world, to be validated by the world. I don't know. I don't know what their end game is. All I know is that woe to those who go down to Egypt and make an alliance, but not by my will. And our churches have, have willingly gone down and made an alliance, an Egyptological alliance saying, we want to be all, uh, which is a perversion of the scripture. We want to be all things to all people. We want to love the world and the things of the world. And I go, well, man, 
That's hard. That's hard to hear because I got to tell you, when I test it by the word, that means the love of the Father is not in you. That, mm. And that grieves me because it shouldn't be. Because we contain within us these fragile clay gar- jars, this inexpressible light. And we're the only ones that can hold out the word of truth to a lost and dying world. We're the only ones that can hold out the word of truth to a crooked and perverse generations. We're the only ones that can shine brightly in the darkness. Like Isaiah 60, 1 and 2 says, when thick dar- or darkness is over the, over the earth and thick darkness is over the people, we're the only ones as ambassadors of the king of glory that can rebuke the darkness with the light of Christ in us and actually be wise in the Lord and see many turn back to righteousness, as Daniel 12 tells us, is the spirit and posture of those in the end of the age who know their God. Mm, those amen. who know their God shall go, shall be strong and go forth and do exploits. Fast forward a verse to Daniel 12, and those who know their God will turn many back to righteousness. Righteousness. That's what it's all centered on. Sorry, I get long-winded. No, praise God. Listen, folks, the Bible is very, very straightforward here. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Folks, civil war is coming not only to America, but it's coming to the church. And it might already be in the church near you. And we need to remember that some of these verses not only apply to what's going on in the world, but they apply to what's going on in the church world, too. And we need to be very careful because civil war is coming. I mean physical, uh, kingdom against kingdom, uh, our nation against nation. That word means ethnos. Uh, racial wars, are that's what the Bible talks about in the last days. Things are going to get worse and worse, and God is calling us to be useful in this hour. You, you don't understand, and I don't always understand, but I know of the things like in China— where the persecution's been so intense to the point where the pastors have actually said they don't want the persecution to end because the church is so on fire. They're reaching the lost in the middle of this intense persecution, and God is calling us that we are ready for when this hour comes to actually be useful in his army to reach the lost because it doesn't matter if everything's falling apart. If we are standing on solid ground, we will be warriors for the Lord in reaching the lost. I'm telling you, if you've never experienced bringing a soul to salvation, bringing somebody to the waters of baptism, you've never ever lived as a believer. Absolutely. Watching someone give their life to Jesus is the greatest reward outside of salvation that you will ever see on this earth. It's the greatest thing outside of your own personal gift. And brother, you are right. We are, we need to, to, at this moment, we need to uh, stop and step back and realize that we can't play around this is such a serious time, and and this modern day church age in America, it's over. You yeah. you could go there, but you know Satan has church too, and he's been attending a lot of churches in the United States and around the world. You could probably find him there any Sunday, but if you yeah. want to follow the Lord, you need to make a decision of who it is you want to follow. And Jamie, you you are dealing with this right now, head on, and what your ministry is and focusing on, and and uh, I I just uh, saw where you were just recently talking about. The weariness that's coming amongst the believers and people are getting discouraged. And folks, I, I'm telling you right now that the best is about to come and the best will happen in the worst of times. Listen, I do not desire the day of the Lord. Let me tell you that right now. It is a terrible time coming, but I do know what God does in the darkest hours of this earth. He reaches the lost for his kingdom and he needs us ready to fight. Brother, I'll turn it back to you. Absolutely. Here, here, here's what Psalm 112 says for those with ears to hear. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his, com- his commands. Remember I said Jeremiah 6 a little while ago that the word of the Lord is offensive to them. But blessed is the man who fears the Lord and finds great delight in his commands. I'm skipping around a little bit. It says, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look and triumph on his foes. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, talking about division and civil war, I absolutely, when I, when I, like, I can't help it. Like I have all these verses jumbled in my head. So if I don't quote them perfectly, like, forgive me, I don't have anything in front of me. I'm, I'm literally just, just as the Holy Spirit leads. But, um, you know, I, I was, I was thinking about how civil war, when I, when I quote these verses or fire hose these verses, I am talking about the church. They're all referencing the church. And even when I use old, old, when we use Old Testament scriptures, 
Israel is a type and shadow of the church. And people go, oh, oh, you're doing dominionism or replacement theology. I'm like, get off of it already. No, I'm not preaching replacement theology. It's just, this is the word of the Lord and it's immovable. And he's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. And he's not shifty like a shadow, right? Like you can trust, if he said that about that nation, he means it about this nation. He said that about his people, his inheritance, his chosen one. Well, I know that I'm told that I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, chosen people, a people of his own. Then that applies to the church as well too. And he speaks, woe, woe, woe over the people. And he absolutely is is foretelling and and has forewarned about what's going to happen in the church. When you look at Matthew 24, you know, Luke 21, Mark 13, all these verses, what's the number the number one attribute almost all the epistles and the gospels speak about with regards to the second advent of Christ Jesus, which by the way, one out of every 5 verses in the New Testament deals with the second coming of Christ Jesus. One out of every 5 is is that the number one thing that they're constantly speaking to is above all else, remember this. Remember this above all else. Remember when I told you this. Remember above everything else, this one thing, uh, deception. Remember this. Remember this. Like they are going to be deceived and many will fall away and many will abandon the faith and many, many will say I'm the Christ, but don't be deceived. And many will bring the way of truth and disrepute. And many, 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 many. It says that word so many times about the great lawlessness and apostasy that's entering in the church. In fact, it's so great that Second Thessalonians 2 reminds us that it's actually the thing that allows the Antichrist to come onto the scene. And the man of lawlessness himself, the very embodiment of lawlessness, cannot come onto the scene until the great apostasy occurs first. The church, the lawlessness in the church is the only thing that allows and opens the gap and tears the veil, quote unquote, tears the veil for the man of lawlessness to come on the scene. Apostasia means an official revolt or defection from a religious dogma that you once held to be true. The church itself is in an official revolt or defect, social justice gospel, new apostolic reformation, you know, all kinds of tenets of Hebraic roots type stuff and emergent church and seeker friendly church and every everywhere in between is like you pick a movement. They the secret doctrines of demons have truly brought the way of truth into disrepute. And when you hold out sound doctrine, just the word, when you hold out just the word, which is sound doctrine, they slap it out of your hands and they and they call you whatever haughty or self-righteous or religious or pharisaical or whatever the word they choose to use but here's what i do know and like you said brother praise god the lord is sifting and there is a civil war inside the church because the very next chapter in malachi you read from malachi 2 and malachi 3 he goes on to say this he says he says but then those who found the are those who feared the lord not like the lord and not went to church and not studied all things in times and not you know held all the feast holidays without missing a single one it doesn't say that i'm not saying any of those things are bad i'm just saying if your identity is in that you're off if your identity is in those things rather than in the completed work of Christ alone, you're off. But it says, then those who fear the Lord were found talking with one another and the Lord heard and the Lord listened. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and revered his name. And he goes on to say, they will make up my treasured possession. And here's where we're getting at the civil war. He says, and you will again see the distinction between those who serve me and those who do not between the righteous and between the wicked. And he says, I am going to distinguish. Finally, the wheat and the tares have been grown up for so long, for the last 120 years in this nation, Western-centric Christianity. The wheat and the tares have been grown up so long that finally, 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 it's near the time of the harvest where the fruit, the, the heads of fruit, the heads of grain, the fruit is finally starting to be produced where we can actually rightly distinguish who is actually of our body and who was from us or who, who went out from us, but they were not among us because if they were among us, they would have remained with us. Right. So there there is this great chasm that's being created, praise God, by his wisdom and according to his love. But in the end, it's going to be very, very costly, very costly for those who want to maintain an untainted gospel of Jesus Christ according to the word and by the Holy Spirit to the saving of souls. It's going to cost us everything. You, you, We've seen the Equality Act. We hear the calls for the, what is it, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We say these social justice warriors like Tim Keller and, and, and that whole ilk 
uh, uh, outright rebuking and rejecting uh, Christians who hold to gospel teachings, to biblical teachings, because they say they're archaic and outdated and moronic and they don't understand the true gospel. You see the Pope uh, uh, calling for uh, uh, putting out different edicts and encyclicals or whatever they're called about um, uh, uh, heresies of Christians that won't bite onto this new social justice movement. I mean, we can feel the spiritual fervor of that spirit of the end times that's going to come and just lay waste the faithful in the Lord. But, 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 but those who know their God shall be strong and go forth and do exploits at this exact same time. That's what the warrior, the redeemed is comprised of. Absolutely. And folks, this is kind of where we're up against as a nation right now. We're kind of like at this crossroads and both paths lead to something bad. So economically, well, of course, we wanted Trump to win because that would be great for our economics. And we don't want to continue to kill more babies, although the Republicans still stand by that and they haven't stopped homosexuality either. So, you know, I don't really have a lot of good things to say about them. But then the other party says, no, let's kill more children. Let's pull them out. And now, if you know what, everybody that stood on the Republican side or the conservative, let's punish them. Let's hurt them for what they're doing. So you got one side that says if we go if they win, which is the Democrats, they're going to, you know, raise all the tax rates, reverse everything, punish those who have done wrong, go the most progressive thing, you know, forgive all the student loans, which I'm sure people think that's great, reparation, all that stuff. If Trump wins, we're going to have a civil war because everybody's going to be angry. Jamie, I don't know about you, but I don't see anything positive coming about either side winning. I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's what we're faced with right now. Yeah, no, not at all. It's like it's like uh, Biden wins, we lose. If Trump wins, we lose. Absolutely. That's that's, that's really the the only options. And if and if if Biden wins, it's going to be the most perverse sycophant lawlessness you've ever seen. If Trump wins, it's going to be the most perverse sycophant violence and lawlessness we've ever seen. Right. So a- a- absolutely. And so, I, it, you know, and, and, and Biden, Biden has openly said on mainstream media, I have quotes in front of me right here. I won't I won't read them all. But he says that that Christians who hold to an immovable word of God are are like terrorist groups. He said they are similar. He added Biden pushed three things to help end the hate crimes against gays coming through Christians. He passing the Equality Act monitoring groups that are similar to terrorist groups like Christians and to rewrite federal civil rights laws to prevent discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. Listen, uh, AOC has already talked about making a list. Hillary Clinton has already talked about the list. Uh, you've had you've had uh, heads from the Department of Justice have already talked about lists of, of those who have voted for Trump or just stand on conservative Judeo-Christian values. This is 1930s Germany, ladies and gents. And so at the end of the day, what we need to be doing right now as the redeemed of the Lord, one is solidifying ourselves in Christ Jesus, our identity in Christ. Absolutely. Number two is personal repentance. Talking about warrior culture, Achan sin, Joshua 7, it says, it says, you have been made liable for destruction on the field of battle because you've hidden some of the devoted things among you. You cannot stand against your enemies on the day of battle until you consecrate the devoted things that you have hidden among you. Consecrate yourselves today, says the Lord. We cannot go into this battle if we have any treasonous, double-minded, uh, complacent, you know, ill-equipped, lackadaisical leanings. That's treason on the field of battle. And like any act of treason in, in the military, it's the same in the kingdom of God as it is in the natural. Any act of treason is to be put to death post haste. That's why we are literally commanded to crucify your flesh. Kill it. Murder your flesh. Kill it post haste. Why? Because it's treasonous towards the standing orders of your commander in chief and the captain of your salvation. We are literally given the command to crucify our flesh, put it to death because it is treasonous. Remove all double mindedness. Remove the sin and the dissipations of this life that's so easily hindered. By the way, dissipations translates to frivolous living. So that means like hanging out, watching college football all day Saturday rather than going and being uh, strengthened and equipped with the body and believers to advance the kingdom of God in a time in a dark time, which which I, I run into that all the time. Well, I, I was going to take my son hunting. Well, I was going to do well, I was going to it's like, OK, that's that's exactly what Christ forewarned about. 
He said, don't get caught up in those things because the day is going to come upon you unaware. You have to consecrate yourself for the day of battle, for that line of departure where you know the fight is imminent. And then so so there's that that personal acknowledgement, that personal repentance. And then what we need to do really as the believers, brother, is we need to be counting the cost. Jesus gave a command. He he talks about it in Matthew 7. He talks about it in Matthew 10. He talks about it in Matthew 19. He talks about it uh, uh, throughout the epistles. Paul and Peter and some of the other writers of the epistles talk about it, about counting the cost of being all in for the kingdom of Christ. And Christ Jesus laid it out very plainly, and God the Father did all through the Old Testament as well, too. He said, listen, if it's evil in your sight to serve the Lord and to keep his commands, just just get out of here, like go, right? But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. D- choose you that choose this day who you're going to serve. If the Baals are God, go serve them. If the Lord is God, go serve them. Hey, by the way, if there's anybody, this is Deuteronomy 20, and it's also in Judges 7. If there's anyone among you who is faint of heart, go home, lest you make your brother's hearts fail as well too on the field of battle, right? Like you see this whole thing over and over and over again, because the Lord has never been concerned with the quantity of men only ever the quality of men's hearts right so you come all the way up through the new testament what's one of the first things jesus says hey listen ladies and gents right here we go the consummate commander-in-chief this is how i hear him saying it anyways i don't know what his what his posture is like but this is how how i hear him saying it he's like listen ladies and gents good to go here we go let me get you locked on listen let me tell you what this is all about if you're not willing to hate mother or father or brother or sister or nay, even yourself for my sake, you cannot be my disciple. Hey, listen, ladies and gents, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow after me, you cannot be my disciple. Hey, listen, ladies and gents, I'm going to speak in parables because it's only for those who really care because most of the people don't really care what I'm saying anyways. They're falling after me for all the wrong reasons. Hey, listen, lady gents, you think I came to bring peace? You got me all wrong. I came to bring a sword. I came to pit household against household. Why? Because my righteousness and justice are the foundations of our throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of our throne, and I will never compromise them for your fleeting sense of what of what um, uh, emotional salve you think I'm supposed to be applying to you right now. And so, Jesus, like the consummate leader, he lays out all these different amazing attributes of telling us to count the cost. Paul's like, "Hey, you better count the cost." Guess what? Those who endure to the end receive the crown of life. Hey, you better be willing to endure. If you want to live a life in godliness, you will be persecuted. Hey, listen, if they the, the student is not above the teacher, if they call me Beelzebub, what do you think they're going to call you? Hey, listen, if you suffer with me, if you suffer for my name's sake, you're actually going to be unified with me in suffering. And you ought to have an expectation of that. So on and on and on throughout all the scriptures, we have this beautiful call to count the cost of being all in. But listen, here's the good news. We can count the cost and we can realize that it's really not that big a deal. We can count the cost and, re- and we can actually claim the light and momentary afflictions that are achieving us an eternal glory that far away is them all. We can actually count that seemingly intensive monumental cost and go, oh man, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that's gonna be revealed. I don't love my life so much as I'm afraid to lose it. I have counted the cost. I know my King. I know my Lord and Savior. I know the Lord God Almighty. I know for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so for the joy set before me, I can endure all things. I absolutely know that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God that's already been demonstrated in Christ Jesus. And I know that nothing in all of creation is going to overcome me. No height, no death, nor angel, nor demon. No, nothing in all of creation is going to overcome me. My life has been bought and paid for with something imperishable. And one day, one day, ladies and gents, the corruptible is going to put on the incorruptible and the moral is going to put on the immortal. And we are going to be like his likeness. And as he overcame and sat with his father at the right hand of the cross, so too, if, circle that word, if we overcome, we will sit with him at the right hand of the father. And I look at the beautiful, beautiful diatribe and all the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, to those who overcome, to those who overcome, to those who conquer, to those who overcome, to those who conquer. And I go, man, I have counted the cost. Count me in, Jesus. 
I'm all in. I do not fear my life so much as I'm afraid to lose it because you already defeated death. It is swallowed up. It's lots of sting. It's lots of victory. And my life belongs to you. You do with it as you would will and please, Lord. Let your, your, your blood that covers me testify. Let the word of my testimony testify. And let my understanding of the joy set before me testify. Because we're told in, uh, I think it's Philippians 1, it says, do not be frightened by them in any ways. And in, in, in any way, this will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you, you will be saved. I've counted the cost. I'm on it. But we each need to search our hearts right now and count the cost about being all in for Jesus. But the only way you can count the cost and, found, and find it to be acceptable is if you truly, truly know and understand and count the reward first. Amen to that, brother. I, I appreciate it. And that's the, and honestly, folks, bringing this up, what the election, I didn't even want to get into politics at all right now. I could care less. But the truth is, looking at where we're at, we're facing bad. And, and what if you don't want to take a, you know, this vaccine and all this? Well, I'm, yep. I guess what Jamie just said is you better count the cost now. What does it mean to stand up for Christ? Because I'm going to tell you right now, in our flesh, all of us are going to fail. Peter had confidence in himself. What happened? He denied the Lord three times. Folks, I have no confidence in my flesh. My flesh will fail me. I will deny the Lord. I will do everything wrong. But because of Peter's story, I understand and now know that it's not by my my flesh, but it's by his spirit that I can stand strong in this hour because I've already counted the cost. And I'm telling you, folks, he is worthy. And he can keep me from ever falling and present me faultless because he promised it in his word. And this is the hour that you have to make that solid, firm decision right now. Who is it that you are going to serve? Because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And if you're like the sea, the waves of the sea being tossed to and fro, back and forth, you're going to be all over the place. And you're not going to know what's right and wrong, what's this, that, and the other. Folks, I've heard more ideas of what the what the uh, mark of the beast is in my life. I mean, I, I wonder if I, sometimes do people actually even read the Bible anymore? Because, <laughs> brother, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I hear some of the craziest conspiracy theories, uh, biblical conspiracy theories amongst believers that is just absolutely insane. And people are saying, amen, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, hey, like you were talking about earlier, we need to just read the actual word of God. It's which, not always which, is, which is why I, I so emphatically say all the time, and I, I kind of ruffle feathers everywhere I go, not intentionally. Hopefully it's under godly sorrow and repentance, right? And like— that we would not be unaware of the devil's schemes, and hopefully it's a gentle correction. But I, that's why I emphatically say it doesn't say those who know all kinds of super-duper secret squirrel intel, the latest, greatest stuff going on, those who know everything about the occultic undertones of America's founding and throughout the world, or know everything about, you know, Nephilimery and all kinds of stuff, and, and, and those who celebrate every Jewish feast holiday with impeccable nature and all that. Like, it doesn't say that. It says those who know their God. That's Jeremiah 9. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the rich man boast in his riches or the strong man boast in his strength. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he has understanding to know me. It's a knowing of the Lord. And a knowing of the Lord can only come by hiding, dwelling, abiding, and communing with the Lord. A knowing of the Lord only comes through that way. It's a knowing of who he is. And that's what you were, you were talking about, Peter. What Peter came to realize is it had nothing to do with the strength of his faith. It had everything to do with the knowing of the object of his faith. I'll say mm. that again. It has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with the strength of your faith. It has everything to do with the knowing of the object of your faith, the Lord God Almighty through his son, Christ Jesus. That is those who will go forth and do exploits. That is what it looks like to not love your life so much as you're afraid to lose it. That's what it looks like to have fully counted the cost and say, I'm good to go, sir. I'm all in. What's my mission set? Because he does have a mission set for us. I already told you, 12, Daniel 12, 3 says, it'll be a, a time of likes of which never has been and never will be again. And, and at that time, Michael, the archangel will arise and stand on behalf of God's holy people. And it says, and the wise and the Lord will turn many back to righteousness. That's Amen. your mission set. That's your mission set. It's to turn. Oh, oh man. Ooh. So see, I'm going to get on a tangent here. That's Listen. All right. I'm all about the days of Noah, right? I, Genesis 6 narrative, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it come, be at the coming of the Son of Man. I'm all, I, I understand there's, there's, like, there's like 20 different layers to that verse you, you can, that you can go with that. 
I understand that. I've studied them all out. I'm in agreement with all of them. But here's one thing that nobody ever talks about the days of Noah. What was going on in the days of Noah that nobody ever talks about? He was a preacher of righteousness. See, we want to talk about the hybridization. We want to talk about violence filling the whole earth. We want to talk about all men's thoughts were only evil continually. We want to talk about the complacency of the people, how they were deaf and dumb unto death and delusional, not having a clue what was going on around them because they were so licentious and living for their own carnality that they didn't realize that the doors on the ark were being shut. Like there's all these layers. But the one thing nobody ever talks about is that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Amen. Well, guess what? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. It's high time, tied that the, the people of God, the redeemed of the Lord who know their God, who are who know and understand their identity in Christ alone and nothing that this world has to offer, would start preaching righteousness once more. Start preaching it once more. And guess what? That's what the two, uh, the, the two witnesses are going to be proclaiming, is the righteousness of God once more in the land. And uh, that's one of those aspects that we always seem to to uh, perfectly overlook and only get lost in the weeds on all these other periphery issues instead of what's really true, which is he who is wise wins souls. Amen. And brother, that is powerful. And it got me really thinking while you're talking about that, because folks, the second part of that sign is it shall also be in the days of Lot. And we know what was happening in the days of Lot with the homosexuality and the, and the absolute depravity of a sin broken society that was so sexually depraved that even when the angels blinded the men, it said they were still clamoring to find the door. I mean, that is, that's where we're at right now in the United States of America. But the yep. interesting story is, is that Lot was a picture of the church. And his family. The, see, they were trying to warn him, but it, it took a while. And when he spoke to his family, he said it was like one who mocks her mocketh. And, yep. and they literally had to drag him out of the city. And folks, that's also a picture for us as the Lord's messengers in this hour. All of us, we are all now a kingdom of priests, uh, and we are to go and rescue that which is lost. And sometimes we got to grab them and drag them out of there. Yeah, well, folks, and, and I'm not talking about some against own will, but you've got to share with people as Noah was doing the preacher of righteousness, and not everybody's going to want to hear you. But right now is not the time to be getting all wrapped up in everything that's going on politically in this world. It is a time to be like David in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and hope hold me. With thy free spirit, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. What David is trying to say is the absolute formula we need to follow right now. They always yeah. tell you, if you're on an airplane, brother, you know this well as anybody. If you're on a plane, if folks, you've flown before, if the oxygen masks drop down, what do they tell you? Put yours on first before you help someone else. What's happening right here in this verses is it's time to get yourself right so that we can help lead others by God's spirit to the Lord. Absolutely. We have a mission. We have a mission. And if you have no mission that you you have no purpose. And our mission is to reach the lost, but if we don't get ourselves back on track with the Lord, we're simply just floundering around and I don't even know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, brother, yeah. I, I appreciate that, that's, that's that Nehemiah mandate, brother. You know, it's it's and you know, we, we always quote the, you know, fight for for your your brothers and your sons and your daughters in your homes. Right. And and they they worked with they had a trial on one hand and a sword in the other and and they slept with their clothes on. Right. That's a picture of hypervigilance. That's a That's a type and shadow for the church. It's a picture of hypervigilance. But here's what's unique about the Nehemiah mandate. It, it was that each man was had grown so accustomed to the rubble and the and the charred burnt stones out in front of their houses that they didn't even notice anymore. You know, it's like I asked my wife, I didn't have cabinets. You know, I'm a carpenter. I, 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 I'm a home builder and stuff, too, on the side is that um, I didn't have cabinets on our kitchen for eight years on our kitchen cabinets. And you just grow used to it. So then I never even bothered to finish fixing it. A total type of what was going on in Israel. Is there, there's in, in most Christians lives and most churches realities, the rubble's all about them and they don't have a clue. So what was the Nehemiah, Nehemiah mandate? He said, each man, according to his family, start repairing the wall in front of your own house first. 
And it was each, this is a call to individual repentance. There is no revival apart from individual repentance. Each man has to begin repairing the rubble in front of their own house first because the enemy is mocking you and laughing at you and scoffing at you. And has he comes in and he goes out as he wills and pleases in your reality until you begin repairing that wall and your hypervigilance kicks back in and you get in the stinking fight because there is a fight. And it's breathing down our neck. There's always been a fight. It's never went away. But right now it's coming in to his convergent zenith. And uh, and we as the redeemed of the Lord have to have our identity in nothing but Christ alone. We truly, truly must know and understand who we are in Christ, who he is to the Father, who the Father is. And what knowing and understanding what Lord God Almighty's mission set was, what Christ Jesus, his mission set is. So therefore, we can know and understand our mission set that goes back and satisfies the commander's intent and his command. Like this is what's required of us. And, I, and we got a good mission set. Not only do we have a good mission set, we have been assured consummate victory. And we've been assured that he'll be with us wherever we go. And as you started started off this whole broadcast, brother, is that, that verse, I think it's in Proverbs and I can't remember it. I, it was like 28 or something like that. that. Though a righteous man falls seven times, still he'll rise again. We know and understand that we come that we're weak, but we come underneath the one who is strong. We're foolish, but we come underneath the one who is wise. Our faithfulness is lacking, but it's his faithfulness that is our shield and buckler. He is the shield of faithfulness. I put on his righteousness. He is the helmet of my salvation. He is my war belt of truth that is shot around my, my waist. And, and my feet are shot with Christ Jesus. He is peace itself, where once I was an enemy of God, and now he calls me friend and heir, adopted, a son of a promise like i take christ jesus he is the sword and i take him the sword the sword of the spirit the word christ jesus in my hand and i and i train with it and i hone it and i master and i become increasingly strong with it so that when i go out on the field of battle i can strike a blow against all enemies both foreign and domestic that means my lawless carnal treasonous leanings in my own heart and mind and that means the rebel insurgents from without listen church we are the counterinsurgency we are the Lord's answer to the rebel, to the rebellion that occurred in the heavenly, who knows how long ago. We are the answer to Genesis 1-1 through Christ Jesus. We're the answer to Genesis 3-15 through the redemption of Christ Jesus. And we are the answer all the way through as a finger in the eye of the rebels who say, you knew me and you knew my holiness, my glory, my love, my power, my majesty. You knew all about me and you rejected me. Yet these these least of all these, they know me not. They know in part, they prophesy in part, they see through a glass dimly, but by faith, they know and understand that I am the Lord God Almighty and there's no one else but me. And my Lord and my son, Christ Jesus, is king and his blood was sufficient to cover all their sins. Like that is the battlefield, ladies and gents. Amen. Praise God, folks. He's so right. And, and I don't know if you're folks, if you're familiar with the or Jamie, if you've if you've ever heard of uh, the famous Hebrides Island revival, uh, Duncan Campbell preached through. There's a paper written on it when God stepped down uh, from heaven. And folks, the interesting thing is about it. And I just want to read just a little tiny thing about it, because I had saw someone who went back in the early 2000s and uh, had trying to find people who were still alive from the Hebrides Islands revival that I think was somewhere between 1948, 49 to 1952, three around there. Uh, they said the person was sharing with them that was still alive. Even when they began to talk about it, they would tear up. They said not one person was arrested in Barvis for 20 years after this revival happened. It was so powerful. People were literally on the sides of the streets repenting over, but it was the two old ladies uh, they are in there, and they one evening. It's just short paragraphs. Is one evening, an old woman, 84 years of age, and a bl and blind, had a vision. Now, don't ask me to explain the vision because I cannot. But strange things happen when God begins to move. And this dear old lady in the vision saw the church of our fathers crowded with young people. This is from Duncan Campbell, crowded with the young people, and she saw a strange minister in the pulpit. 
And she was so impressed by the revelation because a revelation it was. She sent for the minister and told her story. The parish minister was a God-fearing man, a man who had longed to see God working. Oh, he had tried every so many things to get the youth of the parish interested, but not one single teenager attended the church. That was the situation. Well, heart this to this dear old lady to say to him, I tell you what she said. I'm sure Mr. Mackay... You've longed to see God working. I try not to do the accent there. <laughs> what about calling your office bears to get what about calling your office bears together and suggest to them that you spend two nights a week waiting upon God in prayer? You've tried mission. You've tried special evangelists. Mr. Mackay, have you tried God? Well, long story short, those there was two old women that got together and they prayed through the night. I think it was till 4 a.m. and God shook the whole island. Folks, what I'm trying to say is in this hour, we've known about what's going on. We've read every self-help book. We've gone every place in the world. We've read every article on the Internet. But have we tried God in this hour? Because I'm telling you right now, he is the one who will deliver all of us in this hour at this moment. As Brother Jamie's been sharing through this program of the things that God is calling us to do right now, it has been about one thing and one thing only. It is about the Lord and Him alone in this hour. There is not one person in this flesh that will deliver the soul. Only Jesus Christ can save the soul. And Brother, I appreciate you for sharing these things. And we're coming to the end of the program. And and Brother, I'm telling you what, you get me so fired up, I can hardly contain myself just listening. And I appreciate your enthusiasm for Jesus Christ at this hour. And brother, I'm going to ask that you could just share a word of prayer. Close us out in a word of prayer, and I want to then have you talk about how people can keep up with what's going on. But if you could pray for the listeners here at the Remnant Call, because folks, there's our, our brother, there's a lot of dedicated followers that listen to this show, and they want nothing more than to do what the Lord wants them to do in this hour. And I'm going to ask that you could just pray for the listeners here. Amen. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the opportunity to even gather over the airways, God. It's such a gift to be able to come so freely um, into your throne room. And I praise you, Christ Jesus, for your, your obedience, your obedience to orders, obedience to death, even death on a cross, that um, we might be able to, to so boldly and courageously and fearlessly proclaim the good news for which we're an ambassador in chains. I pray, Lord, for uh, my brothers and sisters, for your Christ, for your church, Christ Jesus, over which you're the head, that that we would make much of you, that we would make much of you in this dark hour, God, and that we would uh, glorify you and champion you and not be ashamed of you, Lord, that we wouldn't be among those who shrink back, because we know that if we shrink back, you'll be displeased, but that we would be among those who believe and are saved. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters and myself as well that we would be like Paul who had an eager expectation of courage, that he he eagerly expected and hoped that in no way he would be ashamed, but that now as always he would have sufficient courage so that you, Jesus, would be exalted in us, whether by life or by death. I pray, Lord, that we're, we're weary. I'm, I'm weary, God. I know my brother Frank's weary. I know your people are weary. I pray that where we're weary, God, and where we're worn out and, uh, and, and the enemy is, is just grinding us to the bone and, and relationships, God, and finances and health concerns and governmental oversights and, and um, church apostasy and, and all these things, God, the, mi- the macro and the micro, that where we're so weary and worn out that we would come under you, Lord God Almighty, who does not grow weary and you do not grow faint and you give rest and you and and the day is yours and the night also. But you yourself, God, do not slumber, always vigilant over your people, always watching over your flock. I pray that we would come to you, Christ Jesus, who you've literally called out. You've called out into the wilderness and said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I just pray, Lord, that we would. We would heed that call. We would remember your your word in Isaiah 30 that says, In repentance 
and rest is your salvation and in quietness and trust is your strength that we would we would remember god that we don't have to fight this battle but that you fight on our behalf it's still like jehoshaphat and the israelites in his day that we would don our armor that we would consecrate ourselves but that and that we would go out worshiping marching out worshiping with the with the with the priests leading the charge singing unto you and watch you set an ambush against our enemies god give us the wisdom to do our part and uh, give us understanding, Lord, to be discerning and redeeming the time for the days are evil. Uh, we know that that there is a great harvest, Lord, and the workers are few. I pray, Lord, that you would give us some space for grace and a little reviving of our eyes in this time, God, and, and a little R&R before the battle, uh, but that you would train our arms for war and our fingers for battle and make us strong, Lord. You are the banner the battle flag, the standard over us. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a battle flag against them. And your battle flag over us is love, God. Let us never forget that. With the intensity of which we've spoken tonight, the intentionality and the intensity and the and the and the uh, tenacity with which we spoke. May we never forget your goodness, your tenderness, and your love towards your people as well, too, God. Make us mighty in battle for your glory, Lord, and for our joy. And I just thank you for my brothers and sisters and for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I pray all these things in the powerful, life-giving name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, folks. This is time for war. And it starts on our knees. And the, ch- the gates of hell shall not stop the Lord's church. You just don't forget that. We are to prevail, but it starts on our knees, and God is looking for warriors. Brother, thank you so much for coming on this program. Uh, I could talk with you for uh, an unbelievable amount of time. I mean, just yeah, praise, praise God. the Lord. Amen. And brother, how can people follow what's going on in your ministry and keep up with you? Yeah, they can um, contact me. Or we can pray. We can fellowship. We can do whatever. You can find the uh, the book and the study guide at omegadynamics.org. Um, I also um, travel quite a bit and doing conferences and speaking and teaching. And then uh, also one of the things that the Lord's led me into recently is is practically and tactically teaching and training the body of Christ. So the Lord's actually called me to use that skill set he equipped me with. And I teach anything from family emergency planning to combat rifle, combat pistol, uh, communications, you know, uh, building family resiliency and and just whatever it takes to make sure that we're bold and vibrant and radiant and steadfast and that we're not unhinged when the rest of the world is so that we can hold out the word of truth in a crooked and perverse generation. So I, I also offer those services as well. But you can contact me at omegadynamics.org. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion